Well, good morning. I said that a few minutes ago, and it was a good morning then, but it's a better morning now. I love when the Holy Spirit moves like the Holy Spirit just moves in our worship. And I just pray that every one of you this morning did exactly what Matt said. You just let yourself go. You didn't hold anything back from him, that you let the Spirit of God into your heart and let him do his work in you. And if he is working in your heart this morning, then I just pray that you would just listen to what he has to say. And God, I ask that today, I've, I've prayed this already, I've asked God twice this morning to get me out of the way this morning, to take me out of the equation and just to use me to speak to you the truth that he has for each and every one of you. Because I believe that there's no accident that any one of you is sitting here today. Whatever brought you here, whatever decision you thought you made, whatever invitation you got from somebody else, I believe God was working and His Holy Spirit was working to get you here to hear what He has to say. And so this morning I'm going to try to stay on my task, on my notes, the things that I have prepared this week because I believe that God absolutely spoke to me the things to speak to you. But after a moving moment like that in our worship, I'm tempted to just go off the uh, reservation and go rogue here and just let things happen, but I think I better stick to what God has prepared. So um, here we are. Wow, five weeks wrapping up Go Fish. Five weeks. We've spent four weeks so far unpacking the potential, unpacking the promise in the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, when he called his first followers, fishermen, who were out on the water, plying their trade, professional fishermen out there catching fish that they could sell to make a living. Jesus is walking along the shoreline. He sees these fishermen and he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Four weeks we've been unpacking just that phrase, just that invitation, that opportunity to come and follow Jesus so that he could transform them from fishermen to fishers of men. And it's an invitation that he offers to each one of us. Come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So we've been unpacking it. We've been looking at the promise, been looking at the potential, been looking at all that is in there. And for four weeks, we've invested our time together in that. And I would tell you that after four weeks of that, and indeed after this week, after five weeks of that, none of us in here will have mastered what it means to be a fisher of men. We will have not understood every nuance, every bit of the potential. We will not have squeezed every drop out of that passage after five weeks. But every one of us should be better equipped. Let me phrase that. Every one of us is better equipped at the end of these five weeks than we were at the beginning. We're better equipped in our mission to fish for men than we were five weeks ago. Whether you walked in here as an accomplished fisher or having never wet a line before, you should have learned, and I hope you will have applied, some of the fishing principles that we have talked about, some of the fishing principles that we have unpacked from this passage. We've talked about all kinds of stuff. We've talked about why we fish. We've talked about how to fish. We've talked about what to do when you catch a fish. We've talked about what to do when you're not catching any fish. We've talked about a lot of stuff. And if we will do, not just hear, but do the Word of God, if we will apply this stuff and live this stuff when we walk out of this room and out into that community, then we will have an opportunity. In fact, I believe it's more than an opportunity. I believe it's a very high likelihood that we will grow as fishers of men. We will become better fishers of men. In fact, one day, we might find ourselves in a, in a category or a class of professional fisher. I don't mean necessarily paid ministry, staff, pastor, whatever. I just mean somebody who's so good at what they do, so accomplished, so well-equipped, that others look at them and think, now there's somebody who's, that's, they're like professional at that. I talked with my guide friend, Jerry, about the difference between 
an, a weekend angler and a professional fisherman? What is the difference between the average Joe hitting the lake and a professional fisherman? And I think what we learn in this video coming up is going to be very applicable in our lives. It will kind of be the springboard of what we talk about today. Check out what Jerry and I talked about. Well, hey, Elevation Church. We have had a very successful day out on Lake Fork. Uh, it's gotten dark on us. We've pulled the boat back up uh, out of the lake. We're back in the garage here. And um, I just want to talk to Jerry for a moment to kind of wrap up our day. There's a difference between a, a weekend angler uh, like me, a guy who, um, you know, I probably fish 10, 15 days a year. Um, I'll spend two or three of those days with you usually right. and uh, spend a lot of time beating the water on uh, private ponds or Lake Louisville, Lake Grapevine, lakes I can drive to. But there's a big difference between a guy who does it for his profession and a guy who does it as a, as a weekend warrior. Oh yeah. And one of the biggest differences I know is the investment that you make in your, in your craft. Yeah. And um, we're just looking at, at maybe one one hundredth of the gear that you own. Oh. Talking about rods, reels, lures, boats, uh, even terminal tackle, hooks, weights, fishing line, um, crazy things that you never think of. Oh, yeah. Incidental sunscreen. Sunscreen, you know. I imagine you go through, like you need to own stock in a sunscreen. Yeah, company. actually. <laughs> it's one of my things, I, want, I mean, and you know, even for me, I mean, it goes even down to, the gum. Bubble gum. Bubble regular, right? You, you know, got to have some gum on. I mean, basically going, okay, which gum lasts the longest? So I can pick a gum out that, you know, I'm not going to go through two packs in a day because the flavor lasts for 30 minutes, you know? Case, how many cases of water do you go through every year? You know? uh, I mean, just things like that, things you never think about. But, okay, so just we we're talking about this swim bait a minute ago. I may look at this swim bait and think, okay, there's 99 cents worth of plastic in that thing. I'm going to guess you made a more significant investment oh, yeah. than, than that. What, I mean, what does something like this cost a man? Uh, that one, I think, ran like what, around $14.99. $14 or $15. And if you're fishing with this thing and it gets caught on a stump in 20 feet of water and, uh, and you break it off, that's, that's, a, that's an investment. Yeah. That's it. You know, just, you know, like you say with that, you, you can take that. There's 15 bucks. Here's 15 bucks. Here's 15 bucks. You know, 10 bucks. You know, just with the tackle, just the terminal tackle right here, you can probably say there's probably three, $400 sitting there. Not even counting your rods and reels. Well, yeah, I mean, we took 11, I think I counted earlier, 11 rods, not counting the ones that are under the deck in mm -hmm. the rod box, but right. 11 rods that we had out and used today average price of a rod and reel uh, basically in this in the what, categories what, of what you what, use what I'm using you're looking at about $200 maybe 250 uh, per rod and reel you know and they're specific uh, for function so uh, I'm not good at math but I just counted 11 rods and that's a lot yeah. so you have significant investment you've shortened the learning curve for me I don't have to make some of the same investment uh, uh, long term because I can make inter incremental short term investments in oh, spending definitely. time with you and I can be more successful than I might be on my own but it's always possible that I could be just a guy with a with a regular old rod and reel mm -hmm. and live bait and could catch the big one. Yep. Anybody can go fish. That's right. So let's go fish. Anybody can go fish, but if we want to really answer Jesus' call and truly become fishers of men, really be transformed from fishermen, like those first four, into fishers of men, transformed from who you are, what you are today, into an evangelical uh, uh, fisher of men, somebody who is out there sharing the good news of Jesus on a regular basis in a powerful and effective way, it requires an investment. Fishing isn't free. Fishing isn't free. When I go out on the lake with my friend Jerry, I pay the man. It costs me about $450 for a full day trip to go out and fish with a fishing guide. And that's not just Jerry, that's pretty much any guide on Lake Fork. Some of them are about $550. I go trout fishing up in the mountains in Colorado when we go up there. Price is about the same. Saltwater trip, maybe a little bit more because they use more fuel, but it's wherever you go. There's an investment required in a fishing trip. 
You've got to invest in gear and tackle. You've got to have equipment. You've got to have time invested in learning what to do. You can invest in a guide who can shorten your learning curve. But you've got to invest time, money, energy. Fishing isn't free. and investment is required. Today I want to talk about two different kinds of investments that we can make in our efforts to be fishers of men, to be fully equipped fishers of men. The first investment that I want to talk about today is an investment made in the church. An investment made in the church. The second investment that I want to talk about today is an investment made in oneself, in yourself, in myself. We've got to invest in those two ways, in the church and into ourselves. Now, when I talk about investment in the church, I'm talking about the local body of Christ. Elevation Church, if you're a member here, if this is your church home, I'm talking about us. Not talking about this, we talk about this all the time. The building is not the church, we are the church. You are the church, I am the church. Our local body, this gathering, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about investing in the church. By the way, the investment in the church can be an investment in the building. It can be an investment in this building or another building or, you know, whatever. That's part of it. We have to have a place to gather when we gather as the church. But I'm talking specifically about investing in the church, in the local body of believers. I'm talking about investing in Elevation Church if you're sitting in these seats this morning. And if you're not a member of Elevation Church, let me take just a moment to invite you into the family. We would love to have you be a part of this church family, part of this local body of believers. I want you to come and check it out, see that our family is a good fit for you, that you can come here and hear the word of God, be taught the word of God, that you can be in relationship and community with other believers, that you can grow in your faith, that you can know Jesus personally, that you can go and share his love with other people as a part of this community. We want to invite you in. If you're not a part of it already, we want you to be. There's lots of good churches in our area, though. This may not be the right church for you. That's okay. There's different strokes for different folks. That's true in church like it is in just about everything in the world. And there are lots of good Bible-teaching, Bible-believing churches here in our area. I just happen to be a little bit um, preferential towards this one. I kind of think we have something going on here that's a good God thing. So we want you to be a part of this if God leads you to be a part of this. So the local body of believers investing in the local church. Investing in the local church, what does that look like? Well, it looks a lot like a family. I don't know about your family. In the family that I grew up in, we all had responsibilities. We had chores and requirements, things that we did to contribute to the family. My mom and dad went to work every day. They earned a living. They took care of the finances of the family. My brother, my sister, and I, we did things around the house. I helped roof the house when I was in second or third grade. I can't remember now. Now, I wasn't a whole lot of help, I'm sure, but my dad put me up there and put me to work. My brother was there with me. We cleaned the house. We mowed the yard. We participated in the management and the upkeep of our home. We contributed to our family. That's the kind of work I'm talking about. We're a family. Everybody here should be contributing to the family. Time, energy, finance. Those are the kinds of investments that we need to make as a family into the family. I want to talk specifically for a moment about investing financially in the local church, investing financially in the body of believers. A lot of people have um, you know, weird feelings about when the pastor starts to talk about money. Does the church want my money? Does the pastor want my money? Does God want my money? Why do you, ca- why do you talk about money, pastor? Because God talks about money. Because Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell. Because money is a big hang-up in our lives. God wants our heart, not our money. Let me answer that question right away. God is not after your money. If you're here worried this morning that I'm getting ready to preach a message about God wanting your money, remember that all of your money came from God. He's the provider of everything that you have, including the talent that you have, the energy that you have to go and earn the money in your job. God gave you that. So if you think, but I earned it. No, you didn't. (laughs) God gave you the ability to earn it. He provided it for you. Everything you have came from God. If God wanted your money, he would have just held on to it. 
He didn't have to give it to you in the first place. What God wants is your heart. And he knows that money is a strong contender, maybe the strongest contender for some of us, to take his place as the, 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 the thing that our heart desires the most, money and things. And so God has been talking about and teaching about money from the very beginning of mankind, really, from the very, very early, early days. God has been talking about money. Check out, if you would, Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus chapter 27. If you have your Bibles, please open them up. If you've got your electronic Bible, type it in. I won't think you're texting unless your thumbs don't stop. Then I'll know. You'll be busted, right? And if you don't have your Bible this morning, we're going to put the passages up on the screen so you can follow along. But I want you to go back in the Old Testament to Leviticus chapter 27. We're going to look at verses 30 through 34. Leviticus 27, verses 30 to 34. God is talking. Here's what he says. A tithe of everything from the land, whether it's grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe, redeem means basically spend it. Whoever would spend any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. So if you would spend your tithe instead of bringing your tithe into the storehouse of the Lord, instead of bringing it to the local church, then God says not only do you need to tithe, but you need to add one-fifth or 20% on top of that. Everything, or every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. What God's teaching here is that whatever you own, whatever income you have, one-tenth of it belongs to him. And remember, if he really wanted your stuff, he would have just kept it in the first place. What he's after here is your heart and my heart. Okay? He's after our heart, not our stuff. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed or sold or profited from. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. Folks, these are not my words. These are God's words. I'm God's man today standing here telling you what God said thousands of years ago. And I'm telling you that it still stands true today. God wants our hearts, but he understands for him to have our hearts, we need to be free in our heart to give to him one part, one small portion of what he's given to us. One-tenth, the tithe. That's all the tithe means, by the way, is one-tenth. Sounds like God's kind of serious about this. When he told Moses about the tithe, he said if anybody spends their tithe, if they redeem their tithe, whether it's a grain tithe or an animal tithe, and by the way, we know, right, that back then it was an agrarian society. Money was not such an issue. It was more they bartered and traded in, in grain and oil and in animals and, and stuff like that. Your wealth was in agrarian things, agricultural things. And, and God tells Moses if somebody decides to, you know, eat their tithe goat or sell their tithe grain, rather than to dedicate it to the Lord because it is holy to God, if they, if they break that holy, if they mess up that deal, then it's a big deal. There's like extra required on top of that. And, and they mess up God's blessing by doing that, by intervening in what God has asked. They get in the way of what God wants to do in their lives. Breaking his rules, getting outside of his will, messes up our relationship with God. And so God's serious about this. He's serious about the tithe because he wants our hearts, but also because he set aside the tithe for something specific. He set aside the tithe for something very, very specific. That 10% doesn't just go to, you know, stuff and things and whatever and whenever. Check out Malachi chapter, what is it, chapter 3, verse 10. Malachi 3.10. Let's see what God sets the tithe aside for. What is its intent, its purpose? Bring the whole tithe, he says, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, he says, and see if I will not throw open 
See if I will not just throw open, wide open, the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. Told you. There's a specific intent behind the tithe. It's about your heart. There's a specific intent for the tithe. The tithe, the money that comes in, the goods that come in, take care of the house. They stock the shelves, feed the people, specifically fed the priests. The priests didn't earn income by doing a job outside of the church, outside of the temple. They worked in the temple. And when the tithe animals came in, this was the meat that they ate. When the grain came in, that was some of the, that's where they made their bread. The tithe is set aside to take care of and to do the ministry of the church. Now remember, I'm not the church. I'm the pastor of this church. You are the church. I am the church. We together collectively are the church. So this isn't about taking care of Todd, though that happens as a part of this. Just in all transparency, I get paid a part-time salary here. I work a full-time job here, and I get paid a part-time salary here. That's not a complaint. I'm not asking for more. Not for me. God's taking care of my family. We're good. But I just, in transparency, want you to know, I get paid. And there's a, a board of directors that sets my pay. I don't get any say in how I get paid. <laughs> I don't even get a vote. President of the board, I can't even be in the room when they debate it. I mean, you know, I might make a phone call or two here and there. I'm just saying. That was a joke. Y'all can laugh at me. It's all right. Christian stuff. Jared, I told you to remind me no more humor. You, you dropped the ball on that, man. I didn't, I didn't put that in the, I didn't put that, see, that wasn't in the script. Wasn't it, wasn't it, he didn't have a slide for it. The tithe goes to fund the ministry. The tithe goes to pay the guide. The tithe goes to equip the church. See, my job here is to be an equipper. I'm here to equip you, the church, to be fishers of men, to do the work of God. Every member here is to be a minister. Every one of you should. I'm not the minister. I'm the equipper of the ministers. And the tithe that comes in helps equip you to do God's work. Fishing isn't free. It may not seem like we would have a lot of bills, a lot of expenses. We pay rent here at Studio B. They're very nice people, but they do not let us use their facilities for free. Fishing isn't free. If we want to fish for men in this community, we're going to pay our way. We pay rent here. We own equipment. Everything that you see up here, from the rug to the music stands to the microphones, some of the instruments, not all of them, some of the instruments are owned by the members of the worship team. A couple of them are owned by the church. We have electronics and sound equipment, the big lights in the back we bought. There's stuff that we own, stuff that we buy. We have expenses every month that go into doing the ministry, not just putting on our Sunday morning worship set, but getting out into the community and doing discipleship. I can't tell you how many cups of coffee or small meals that I buy, sitting down with people, having conversations, doing discipleship. Some of that comes from the church. Y'all do that. Y'all pay for that. We, I pay for that. I tithe. I, I hope you're tithing. If you're not tithing today, then maybe at the end of this message you'll understand the importance of the tithe. It goes to equip the ministers, the church, to do the ministry that God has called us all to do. To ensure that our fishing expedition continues. To ensure that our fishing expedition is well-equipped to succeed and to reach its potential and to answer the call of God to come and follow me and to be made into fishers of men. The tithe is part of that. Now again, God could have chosen to fund the church without doing it through you. Y'all know when God took the Israelites out of Egypt and took them to the promised land, God fed them directly the manna, the bread from heaven, right? Every day they went out and gathered their bread. He took care of them on a day-by-day -day basis. He did it directly. No intervention from anywhere else. No middleman. Boom. From God to you. Pow. Just like that. God could do that in the church. Did you know that God could make money appear in our checking account? Like he could just mess up the computers and every day there could be more money in the church's checking account. He could do that directly. 
He doesn't choose to do that. He's capable of it. The best firewall in the world ain't going to keep God out, all right? It ain't happening. But God chooses to fund the church through the church. wonder why he does that. Why in the world would God choose to fund the church through the church? Why not just do it directly? Again, it comes back to your heart. It comes back to your heart and my heart. I won't lie to you. I like money and I like stuff. Y'all saw my fishing rods. I almost brought them up here again today. It would have made a really nice stage set right here. I could have shown, you know, I got like 20-something rods and reels. It's just a lot of moving back and forth, so I didn't. But I like stuff. I confess it. I bet some of y'all like stuff too, right? I like living in a nice house. I like driving a nice car. I like having good fishing gear. I like going out to eat. I like doing stuff with my kids, taking them to Six Flags and stuff. I like stuff. I like the stuff money can buy. I like money. I like the sense of security I get sometimes by having it. I'll bet some of you can identify with this. But it's because of all of that that God chooses to fund his ministry, his church, his fishing expedition through his church. It's because it builds trust between you and God. When you trust God enough to give back to him one-tenth of what he gives to you, you're going to find that God is faithful in taking care of you and meeting your needs. And indeed, some of your wants, not all of your wants. God never promises. That, that blessing that he says, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless you in ways that you can't even account for, it's not always financial blessings. In fact, some, I find that less, it is less often a financial blessing and more often a blessing in some other way. Trina and I have been blessed relationally. We've been blessed in our family. We've been blessed uh, in a number of different ways that were not financial blessings, that we kind of look back on and say, you know, we started tithing here and look at the blessings that have come following our obedience to God, following our, our faithful answer to His command that we give back to Him one part of what is His. And we have built a great trust with the Lord because we have been financially really well off. And we have been financially... Well, let's just put it, say it like this, on thin ice, even since we started giving. The blessings won't necessarily be financial. We've never gone without. We've never gone without. Our needs have always been met. Indeed, many of our wants, even in those thin ice times, are continuously met. And because of that, our trust in God as our provider has been greatly increased. We trust God way more now than we did 20 years ago, well, almost, about 16 years ago when we started tithing. We trust Him way more now because our trust has been built. Our obedience has also been built. We started doing it strictly out of obedience. Somebody said, God said. Okay. How are we going to do this? I don't know, but God said, so we better. So we've been obedient in doing it, and as our trust has grown, our obedience has grown. Because again, we see that God is faithful in doing what he says he will do, so it's easier to obey him the next time we come to one of those faith decision moments. Will I follow the Spirit of God, or will I follow the Spirit of Todd? <laughs> will I operate in the Holy Spirit or in my flesh? And it's easier to be obedient to the Spirit when I have this track record of knowing that my obedience to God really brings about what is best for me in spite of what my flesh might think or even say to me is best in one of those moments. It purifies our hearts. Again, going back to that heart issue, this obedience, this trust. Our hearts are purified when we give back to God the tithe, what is His. Because it, again, says to God, my heart is yours. More importantly, it says to you, my heart is his. When you give back to him what was already his. It blesses us. We talked about the blessings. An investment made in the body of Christ, in the local church, is an investment made in eternity. It's an investment made in eternity. Folks, there's no greater investment. Why do we invest? We invest for a return. Anybody own stocks? I was talking this morning. I own Walmart stock. 
used to work at Walmart, and they had a one-for-one stock buying program. Every dollar I put in, they put in a dollar. Even when I was 19 years old, I was smart enough to know that was free money, baby. Told you I like money. So I was putting in as much as my little 19-year-old mind could conceive of. And they were matching it dollar for dollar. And I've never sold that stock. I own Walmart stock. Why do I own Walmart stock? Because I anticipate a return on my investment. I want a stock dividend. I want to get paid back on the profit that that company makes. I can measure the value of my investment by the return that I get on that investment. That's why we invest. If you're not investing, you're spending, by the way. If whatever you're putting your money into does not offer you a return, that's called spending. A lot of us spend really well. We invest really poorly. We just kind of have a consumer culture that way. But when we invest in the church, we invest in eternity. And the return on investment, while you may not be able to measure it in physical or financial terms, the Bible says you are building up treasure in heaven. And I don't know if that's financial treasure. I don't know if I'm going to live in a, in a pimped-out apartment made of gold or what. But I have a feeling it's much more, I think it's much more valuable, a much higher return than can be measured in monetary terms. I think that our treasures in heaven are going to be the people that we meet there, that we had some role in them being there, that we went out and fished, that we funded the expedition, that we paid for the guide, that we either planted the seed or plowed the field or we watered or fertilized, or maybe you had the privilege of being the harvester who brought that person into the family. The ministry is funded by the tithe, and those treasures in heaven are built as we faithfully give back to God what was his in the first place. As we show him that his heart, I mean that our heart, that your heart is his, and doesn't belong to money and doesn't belong to things. You shall have no other God before me. Don't make money, don't make stuff the little G God of your life. Invest because the return is eternal. It's eternal. There's some modern theologians out there who don't believe that the tithe is valid today. I want to take just a moment to talk about that. It's an important topic. There's some modern theologians who think that the tithe is, is I don't know, it's invalid. It was abolished with the, the new covenant that Jesus ushered in. And, and that we are no longer required by God to give the tithe. And before, I don't even want to get into an argument about that. I, I wouldn't argue if one of those theologians was sitting here this morning and wanted to like get involved. That's not an argument I want to have. And there's a reason I don't want to have that argument. The, the main reason is because there's no need to. There's no need to argue that principle there's no need to argue that philosophy, that theology, because Jesus answered it. Jesus answered it for us. So rather than me having to have an argument with somebody, rather than me trying to sell you on something, I want to just go to what Jesus says about the tithe today, what Jesus says about giving today. Here it is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus is speaking, and here's what he's saying. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come, in, uh, come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What does that mean? I think I know. You might think you know. We might both be thinking that we know, and we could be thinking something different. Did Jesus mean that the law of the tithe is still in effect? Or did he mean that in the fulfillment of the law, we're scot-free? Let's see what Jesus did to demonstrate what he means. Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 to 27. Matthew 17, 24 to 27. Here's what Jesus did. Now, Jesus has, has been out doing his ministry, and they arrive back in Capernaum. And here's what's happening. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter, and they asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. 
When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. I think it's funny that they said that Jesus was the first to speak. He didn't need Peter to come and tell him what just happened outside. Jesus being Jesus already knew. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. What do you think, Simon? Simon Peter. From whom do the kings of the earth collect their duty and taxes? Is it from their own children or is it from others? Peter answered, it's from others. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said. Remember that phrase, the children are exempt. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Go and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Go and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Now the temple tax began back in Exodus chapter 30, back, 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 way back again in the Old Testament. The temple tax was imposed by God in addition to the tithe. And again, it was set aside. It was something that every family, every follower brought the temple tax once a year into the temple. And again, it was to fund the temple. Back then, it was the tent of the tabernacle. They, they, they had to do stuff. Like, I bet the tent had to be sewn back up sometimes from a windstorm or, or whatever. They had to buy, you know, oil or they needed uh, uh, new garments for the priests or any number of other things that went into the tent to worship, to doing ministry. It had been around forever by the time Jesus has this conversation. A couple of thousand years, generations and generations and generations had been paying the temple tax. And so Jesus says, hey, who is taxed? Who pays the tax? Do kings tax their sons and daughters, the princes and princesses, or do they tax the people? They tax the people. The implication here is this. You and I, followers of Jesus, if you are a committed Christian in this room, you're a son or a daughter of the Most High King. You're a son, a daughter, a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. The children are exempt. It really says that. The children are, the children are exempt. But Jesus paid the temple tax. Why? Why would he pay the tax? Why would he have Peter pay the tax? If the children are exempt, why pay the tax? Because he wanted to. Not because he had to. He's exempt. You're exempt. I'm exempt. Why pay the tax? Why give to the ministry? Why? Because he wanted to. Not because he had to. Because he wanted to. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. The Apostle Paul expands on this a little bit. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not, to, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Give because you want to. Not because you have to. Not because uh, I've compelled you through some fancy speech or some, some use of the scriptures to say God said and therefore you must. I mean, that's how I got started, honestly. I told you that earlier. I did it because God said, and I wanted to be obedient to God. But I learned to be a cheerful giver in the process of giving out of obedience. I became a very cheerful giver. Trina and I became very cheerful in our giving. We began to give well above and beyond the tithe. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just giving you an example of what it looks like when you're giving cheerfully. See, if all I was doing was giving out of obligation, I would have never given past the tithe, the 10%. That's all. No more. Because that's what I'm obliged to do. That's what I'm obligated to. I would meet the minimum. Because that's how I'm wired. That's how most of us are wired. We will take the path of least resistance. We will take the easy way out. We will meet the minimum. But when you do it out of a cheerful heart, you will invest a lot more. God gave you everything you have. Then he said to give back to him, but then he sent Jesus who exempted you because you were adopted into the family of God, sons and daughters of the king. But he said, give because you want to, 
not because you have to, not because you're compelled to, not because you're obligated to. Give. Because Jesus gave it all. I mean, he bought you at a high price. That should fill you with a great joy. If you don't know it yet, understand, you didn't deserve the gift. You don't deserve the gift. You can't deserve the gift Jesus gave. Me neither. I'm out. And I am overjoyed that he gave that gift and bought me back from hell and bought me into real life, redeemed me for real life now and in eternity. I can give back to that cheerfully all day long, every day of the week, all the time. I love it. I love it. And I can cheerfully give because Jesus cheerfully gave. An investment in the church is an investment in the fishing expedition for men, for the souls of men, for the lives of the people who live in this community, the people who sit in these seats on Sunday mornings, people who you know, who you love, who you wish you would know, your next best friend, maybe one fishing expedition away. People are dying and going to hell in Flower Mound and Highland Village. People are dying and going to hell in Louisville. There's a lot of fishing to be done out there. We've got to fund the fishing expedition. We've got to go do the ministry. We've got to be the fishers and the funders. We've got to equip ourselves to go do this stuff. It's all about equipping, the giving, the funding. It's all about getting equipped. See, anglers, every angler has to decide how serious he or she is going to be about fishing. When I got into bass fishing seriously at the age of 10 years old, I had a Zebco 33, not a high-end fishing rod, and a little tackle box with a bunch of little bitty hooks because I was what you might call a, a brim fisherman or a perch jerker. Those little fish that are about that big, bluegill, that's what I caught because I could catch 100 in a day. I loved doing it. Man, I got, I got the bass bug really bad. And I had all this gear for, for undersized fish, and I wanted to catch the big mama. And so I had to start investing in my equipment. Over the last 30 years, I wouldn't even try to guess at the number of dollars or the number of hours or the amount of physical energy, calories burned, that have gone into equipping and fishing for me. Now, I'm just talking about bass fishing. I'm not even talking about spiritual stuff. Y'all saw my two rod and reel racks up here for a couple of weeks. I own somewhere around, I didn't even bother to count, but around 20 rods and reels at an average price of what Jerry said earlier, between $200 and $250 a piece. Not all of them are that high, a couple of them are a little higher, okay? An average, probably right around $200. Y'all can do the math on that. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to know how much I've spent on fishing rods and reels. I buy new line every year for every one of those rods and reels just in case I have the opportunity to hook the big one. Five to eight dollars a spool for fishing line. I own thousands and thousands of dollars of lures and baits. I have a shelving unit in my garage that is stacked full of lures and, and tackle boxes and hooks and sinkers and swivels and all of the stuff that it takes to go fishing. I've made a serious financial investment. I've made a serious time investment. I'm going to go on the limb and say probably tens of thousands of hours, certainly thousands of hours, invested in reading books, magazine articles, blogs, uh, um, just anything I can get my hands on about catching big bass. I don't care. I'll watch it on TV because I'll pick up some nugget in there. I'll learn something watching a bass fishing show on TV. Some of y'all laugh at the fishing show when you fly by the, the outdoor channel or something on your cable box. You're like, are you serious? Fishing shows? Who can watch that? Right here. Right here. Tuned in. Because I'll learn something when I watch. I try to hang around serious, hardcore fishermen. I get around Jerry and I shut up. I ask questions and I listen. I watch what he does. And then I try to emulate it. Hours I've spent practicing casting so I can cast longer, so I can cast more accurately. Hours I've spent in my swimming pool in the backyard seeing how different baits act. Because the water's clearer than it is on Lake Louisville or Lake Grapevine. Y'all with me on that? 
I can see it in 10 feet of water. I can see what that lure does. Oh, if I move it like this, that looks better than if I move it like that. Hours, people. Hours and hours of investment, energy, running from here to there, working hard to earn enough money to go out and, and pay a guide so I can shorten my learning curve. Subscription to Bassmaster Magazine every month coming in reading the articles. Time, energy, money. I'm well invested in bass fishing. Y'all saw the reward. I caught the 10-pounder. It was a very climactic moment. But I got to confess, just like I told you guys last week, that moment lasted all of eight or ten minutes. And it was a cool high. I won't lie to you, man. It was awesome. I enjoyed the high of that as an achievement, lifetime achievement, bucket list thing. You know what? It pales, as I said last week. It pales in comparison to the spiritual return on investment for what I have made in my investment in being a fisher of men. Just like I've invested all of that over the last 30 years in my bass gear. Remember, I didn't start off with all of that. I've been a, a Christ follower for right at just under 20 years now. And I've been investing in my equipment as a fisher of men. I started with virtually nothing. Like, here's what I started with. Two weeks ago, I didn't know Jesus. I do now, and you wouldn't believe the difference. Are you in? <laughs> that was my fishing two weeks after being saved. You know what? Just like what Jerry talked about at the end of that video, anybody can fish. I could have gone and bought a Walmart fishing pole and caught the, you know what? The, the guy who caught the state record bass in Texas was using a Zebco 33 like what I was using when I was 10 years old. Caught the state record. That's not frustrating. See, anybody can catch fish. I, I actually was effective with that presentation as a brand new believer in Christ. People could see the difference in my life, and they were like, what's up with you? I was like, I, I became a Christian, whatever that means. They're like, well, if it did that to you, I might want to check that out. But I knew I had to be better than that. If I really wanted to answer the call to be a fisher of men, I needed to be better equipped. Today I own probably, I don't know, 15 or so Bibles. That doesn't make me any more spiritual than any of you. What I do with them makes me better equipped. I have different translations. I have Bibles that have notes in them, study Bibles, life application study Bibles. I have the message. I have the New Living Translation. I have the New International Version. I have the English Standard Version. I've got the Holman Bible. I've got all kinds of Bibles. And I read them. If I never used my fishing rods, I'd never catch any fish. If I never use my Bibles, I'm probably a pretty poorly equipped. I've got a really cool trophy case of look how spiritual I am, but it means nothing. Read my Bibles. And then I do what they say, amazingly. Well, sometimes. I mean, I try. Ain't none of us going to get that 100% right. But I go out and I fish. I read the Word of God. I pray, God, meet me here. Teach me. Invest in me. I'm investing my time in, in being a fisher and a follower. Invest in me. Share with me your wisdom. Share with me your passion. Share with me, God, how can I reach people for, for you, for your kingdom? God, how can I talk to that person? Who do you have for me to meet today? Open my eyes. Open my heart. I'm investing mon monetarily, financially. Bibles aren't cheap. I thought Bibles might be free when I was a brand new follower, and I found out like the one I wanted was $48 at Sam's where I worked. With my employee discount, it was like $39. I didn't have $39, bucks, but I bought it anyway. Just saying. I've invested hours and hours and hours in prayer, hours and hours and hours in reading, hours and hours and hours in talking with other pastors, with other believers in Christ, sharpening Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Sharpening myself, sharpening myself, becoming better equipped as a fisher of men. Cut, 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 
Yeah, I can cut the rest. You guys know what I'm saying. You've got to make an investment in yourself. You've got to invest your time into your relationship with Jesus. You've got to invest financially to equip yourself. You need a Bible. Good Lord, they're free now. Really, Lord, I said that really good, Lord. They're free. Download it on your smartphone. Free app. There's lots of them out there. I like version. Y-O-U, version. It's a free app. It's a good Bible. Lots of translations, good stuff you can do with it. Invest relationally. Put your relational energy into meeting people who don't know Jesus and hang out with them some. Like, don't go where they are so much to hang out. Like, try to bring them where you are. But spend some time earning the right to fish. You got to make an investment. You got to make an investment in the church, time, energy, and money. Volunteer. There's lots of roles. We need set up people. We need children's ministry people. Some of y'all have musical talent. You're just sitting on it. Invest it. The return is eternal. Invest in yourself. Equip yourself to be fishers of men. My Lord and my God, send us to fish. You've called us to fish. Send us to fish. Prepare for us daily, God, an opportunity to share your gospel, to share your love, to share your forgiveness and your grace, to present that opportunity to be a follower of you to others who do not know you. God, only you can equip us. May we invest in your church. May we invest in ourselves and find that the return on investment, God, is beyond our capacity to store or to understand that we are blessed richly, blessed indeed, as we invest and as we equip and as we fish. Father God, we're about to obey your commandment to bring the tithe into the storehouse of the Lord, that there may be food in your house. This morning, Lord, I pray that every person here can obey cheerfully, that they would not give, that they would not write checks or pull cash out of their wallets, with a heart of discontent only because they feel obligated to. But God, each of us this morning would give with a cheerful heart, understanding that the return is eternal. It is not necessarily monetary. It is not necessarily now. But that it is greater than any financial or physical return that we could conceive of in this life. God, take this offering, this tithe that we bring and multiply it in your ministry. Equip us to fish in Jesus' name.